very warm welcome to everyone into the online Dharma Hall for Gaia House. And yeah, we can hopefully find our place for ourselves here that's comfortable and relaxed. Um, so if anyone wishes to, we can use the chat as a way of um, making contact with each other, feeling into the shared space that we have here. So if anyone wishes to, feel free to use it to say hello and mention anything you like, how it is where you are, how you are, where you are, and where you are, if you want to share that. Um, you can just give us a little bit more of a sense of actually just quite how uh, big this hall is that we're in together. Um, I'm uh, connecting with you uh, physically in Dorset in the southwest of the UK and um, yeah it's kind of a misty drizzly mizzle I think is the word uh, for the weather around here and a little bit chilly so yeah so nice to have a bit of snowy Brooklyn coming in and grey Oxfordshire and all the rest All in all, seems like not a not a bad uh, outer condition to come inward and be among friends. And, uh, as I said before, I hope you're feeling the welcome. So, as the messages and uh, the breadth of and width of our hall is tuned into. We can also just take this time just to check in for yourself what's comfortable way of being here. Um, so typically, uh, something that's kind of become the, the norm with, with Zoom etiquette is that everyone should be muted. Um, I don't mind if you're not muted, uh, quite happy. If you aren't somewhere that's, you know, really busy and, and, and uh, you know, you feel, feel like that one might be a disruption to others, uh, feel free to be unmuted, you know, just as, you know, hopefully you would feel free not to be, you know, uh, what's the thing where you muffle your own sound in, a, in an environment, you know, that you're you know, hiding inside a pillow or a duvet or something when you come into the space with others, you know, you can make noises and um, maybe particularly for the period of time where we have the reflection, you might want to be unmuted and we can see how that goes you know, uh, interact in that way. And certainly the part where we're going to move into finally, which would be more of a sharing, a reflection, more of a conversational space, can also be unmuted all the way through that. And the second quality that, you know, you may be wondering what's the best way for you and feel free to do it in whichever way suits is, should I have my video on, my video off? Should I be looking at the screen or not? Um, so it will be no, uh, it will not be taken as a as an insult or anything if you're not looking at the screen. You know, if you're looking out of a window or looking at a painting or a plant or whatever else that's uh, more gentle on the eyes. Um, you know, it's going to be mainly an audio <laughs> uh, event. Yeah, but it's also nice while these videos are on, you know, just have a little look around and have a sense of the sangha, the community that we're with at this time. Okay, so um, 
And if one of those members of the community happens to be you looking back out at yourself, uh, it is possible to turn off the self-view with a you know, right-click on your face or on the view options and uh, not be looking back at yourself through the whole session and give you a chance to see maybe more of the others uh, in, the, in the space. Anyway, something I like to turn off <laughs> for myself. Um, so I have a few ideas uh, for this session. I'd like to speak to a theme of uh, appropriate perception. But before kind of getting on to that um, and going into the meditation that we're going to have. So maybe I'll just explain that overview. I've dripped it out a little bit. So we have about half an hour of meditation. Um, and then, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of reflection and then hopefully, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of time for kind of sharing of questions, reflections, things like that. Uh, that would be ideal. Uh, but we'll see how that all adds up. But before going into the meditation, what I like to remind us to do is to be clear about how we are and what it is that we want to be in service of with this time. So actually just taking a moment, feeling, how's the body feeling now? Yeah. How's the heart? Might be tender, might be courageous, somewhere in between. How's the mind? A bit dull, a bit excited, anxious, calm. Helpful little check-in to do before beginning a meditation. And another thing that's really helpful is what is it we want to support? What feels important to put our energy into? It might be related to how we find ourselves right now. It might be related to what we really value in life. It might be related to what's going on in our relationships. Uh, we want to be more patient, we want to be more courageous and more kind. And of course it might also be the state of our world. We want to be a drop of peace, a contribution, a droplet of peace in the, in the planet. And if anything comes to you that feels helpful, maybe we can share it with each other. What is it you're here for? What is it you want to contribute to? Put those into the chat and kind of gather those energies together so they can be acknowledged, they can be shared. What are you wanting to support? What are you going to put your energy into? What do you want to see more of? It's a metta, the Pali word for goodwill. As we hear these words, we feel them maybe begin to sprout or the planting of that seed. Self-acceptance. Connection. It can be that feeling from the beginning to the end of the word connection can actually be like getting in touch. peaceful equanimity. 
trust. Patience. Grounding. So beautiful, beautiful words here that we can tune into. And let's bring them into the meditation with us, the, the courage, the kindness, the goodness. Maybe we can see it's possible to meet the breath with those, or one of those qualities, primarily one of those qualities. What would it look like to meet the breath, or maybe it's the sounds passing through the body, subtle energy flows of sensations in the body. What does that look like with courage, or with kindness, or with sanity? So whatever qualities are alive for you, let's practice for a while and I'll drop in with the little reminders. Just trusting yourself to find a way to bring in that quality as we pay attention to something present, breath, the body, the sounds. And make yourself comfortable for about half an hour of practice together.
a good part of the way into the practice and we may notice uh, it's a little bit more clear if I'm kind of mind and heart and body space where attention is happy to follow where we place it towards the more subtle flow breath sounds body or if it's a bit more skidding around And if it is possible to guide it towards this more subtle thing, can there be real interest in the experience? And if it's skidding around a bit too much, are we are we a bit tight? Is there any tension in the body? Tenseness in the attention? Would it help to soften that out? Would it help to maybe break down a breath? So Maybe we'll just be with the beginning of an in-breath for the next three breaths. Not trying to do the whole thing. to do a similar thing with sounds for a length of three breaths really just noticing the arisings in sounds and then resting back the mind follows the breath fine if not, fine then we do another three like this slowly you can build up adding in more but only when we feel that the mind has an interest in that almost Always willing. It might take us the whole half hour before we've been with a whole breath. There's no rush. Allowing that intimacy, sensitivity, be what we're interested in, not how many breaths.
Noticing where the attention is now. It might just be drifting or sinking a little bit. It might be grasping onto some story, something we want, something we want to get rid of. In a way, we may not be making this experience of being present most supportive it can be. And that often happens. It's not personal. It's not to be expected that the present experience actually could be delightful, calming, enjoyable. What happens when we let go of chasing after? We're not too much leaning forwards or leaning backwards, chasing after or resisting. We can really experience, really enjoy. That flow. And if that energy feels like it's sinking, you can imagine a more brightening quality of attention coming through. And if it's drifting around, skidding around, can we imagine there's more space, there's space behind you, space within you. And there's more time, you don't need to rush. So inclining the attention towards way of meeting experience that supports more present. So once every while, once every once in a while, just checking what's missing. See if we can bring in a bit more of that to support yourself to meet your experience with those qualities you want to support, more courage, more kindness, more goodness, more peace, whatever it is.
by this point, quite deep into the meditation, slightly we're all in slightly different places, having different kinds of experiences, might be working our way through, getting to know more and more of the breath, of the sounds, might be dealing with dullness or drowsiness, some of us calming and making space for restlessness, agitation, really different work. But maybe there's something for all of us in actually seeing whatever's happening, whatever seems to be a thing in experience. Realizing it's not a thing, it's a dynamic, it's a flow, it's a unfolding, it's an arising and passing, or it's a collection of things, bringing in the lens, the view of inconstancy, it's vibration, this body, this breath, these sounds, Hearing the thoughts and the visions. It's not fixed. It's dynamic. this, it's not fixed, and it's also not fixed how we can meet it, so many ways, it might seem unpleasant and we feel that guarding, pushing away, running away, Maybe we can soften and compassionately meet it, 
with care, with tenderness. It's going to be dynamic and constant, fluid. How close can we become? How intimate? much as we can. interesting also in the latter parts of a meditation you can sometimes feel like oh, it's going to stop now well that's enough that's my limit I have too many thoughts it's too much whatever this is a degree of identification with things that aren't really ours Anything you can know, experience, sense, can't be who you are. Can lessen that degree of identification with our thoughts, our bodies, our experience. And meet those with the kindness, the courage, the goodness, the peacefulness. They're an appearance, a perception. Could even imagine they've arisen to be welcomed. 
this time coming into the last moments, just noticing what have you cultivated, appreciating your efforts to bring into experience what you value, what you intend. Letting that touch you. So you might wish to let it radiate out from you into the world. Giving from yourself your practice fruits. As gently or as wildly as you wish. May all of our practice together be for the welfare and benefit of all beings, without exception. Let's invite you to gently transition from the meditation. Uh, thank you for your practice. And yeah, I hope that was uh, as close as it could be to a supportive exploration of experience and anything that's helpful from that really uh, encouraged to you know, see where else it can go. There's many avenues we kind of touched upon of uh, experience. <clears throat> so... I'll just say a few words about the dana. That uh, this is, you know, a freely offered uh, space. A fair bit of work goes on behind the scenes to make this available to us uh, on behalf of Gaia House and those who come to lead the sessions. And uh, that means that you know, when things are freely offered to us, we're also free to um, respond to that in whatever way is appropriate to our uh, situation, and our means, and our wishes. And if you would like to see this continuing, then we can have that sensibility to be kind of paying something forward to kind of keep it available and, and accessible to, to more who will come after us. So if you wish to offer support, uh, I put a couple of links into the, into the chat there and you can uh, explore those back at guyhouse.co.uk and also dependentorigination.org if you want to... Um, Visit my website where you can also offer support to me uh, directly and you can also offer support to me and on behalf of all of uh, those who come and lead these sessions at the online Dharma Hall uh, through Guy House. So just wanted to briefly mention that and um, carry on and talk a little bit about uh, perception and how we can use the perception of, of experience. So from that meditation, we actually played around with quite a lot of our perception of ourselves. Yeah, we have a perception of, you know, I'm agitated, I'm restless, all of that, I'm maybe a bit dull and, and all of this. The breath, you know, we talk about a breath. The breath is actually a perception, right? It's a perception of the breath. And what we directly experience is actually a perception. Right, and perceptions depend on a lot, yeah? depend on a lot of ideas 
goes into what we might call directly experiencing my breath. Yeah? But really what we mean there, if we're more accurate with our language, is you know, I'm having a particular perception of breath and it might be quite influenced by my understanding of how the anatomy works, yeah? like what's going on there. And I've kind of taken on board, you know, biology lessons, and I can imagine uh, the sacs of the lungs inflating and decreasing. I can feel the direct uh, movement of stretching of the skin, the muscles underneath, and all of these things that we may not have seen directly and perceived directly. And we can say, oh, yeah, they're working there. But there's also other parts of the perception that we can um, play around with. So we say, you know, when there's a lot of restlessness or there's a lot of aversiveness and these kind of, or grasping onto things, right? it's all of those, like, really shrink the space, yeah, or fill the space. And we can remember, oh, there's actually a lot of space around me. When I remember there's a lot of space around me, I change my perspective, I change my perception. Oh, yeah, I'm in a lot of space, yeah? There's enormous space around us, aren't we? We're actually on an earth in, in vast, vast amounts of space. And I can call that to mind, and that perception affects how I feel in this moment. Yeah? Do you notice that happens to you, maybe? You know, noticing these things has an emotional impact, and we feel it. It's like, oh, what I pay attention to, how I pay attention to it, becomes my experience. And my experience of life is a perception of life my sense of things, my sense of self, my sense of time, my sense of space, my sense of emotion, all of these things. We get a sense of these things. Anything that we sense is actually a perception. Yeah? It's not just a kind of the visual perception. Yeah? So, all of that, all of experience is that. And we can apply different lenses. And the Buddha recommended us to kind of take on different conceptions and plant them inside of our perceptions and so we also did that in the meditation yeah it's like see this thing it seems fixed at first glance it's like ah that's a one of those or that's a knee pain or that's a breath yeah as if there's such a thing hanging around in the world as an in-breath or an out-breath we say oh yeah i was with my in-breath you look at that it's not fixed it's a nietzsche it's it's in constant so Nietzsche is the Pali word that we would translate as inconstant. And it, and it works because a is to uh, say it's not, it's not that. So it's un, or it's in, in this case, constant. It's inconstant, yeah? And so we're saying here, well, look, you know, why is that a useful perception? So it's a useful perception, and we can use it towards kind of our three... Uh, responses to life yeah it's like grab onto it push it away or ignore it yeah and if we've grabbed onto it and we say but this isn't going to last it's really not going to last it's a skillful way if we can bring in that lens oh it's a Nietzsche and that hopefully allows the the grip to open oh you don't need to maybe grab onto that one there's a little myth in behind oh if you get that you know, that'll do it for you. But it's not going to last. Soften, open around the greediness when it gets too much. It can also be that that allows us to kind of 
you know, as William Blake said in the poem, you know, it's like, kiss the joy as it flies. Yeah, it's like, we can still enjoy things, we can appreciate things, pleasant things, and we should, should enjoy them. And also recognize, yeah, it's not going to last, but I can still enjoy it. That's not, it doesn't block off, actually, the enjoyment. And in fact, grabbing onto things was never enjoyable to begin with. Yeah, the greediness impulse is dukkha. It's not just, it leads to dukkha, stress, distress, agitation, irritation, vexation. It is dukkha. It is all of those things. When there's aversiveness and I'm pushing something away, pushing something away, I don't actually notice it's not a thing. It's not something you can push away. You know, there's some story of, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who the person was, maybe they were a child or, or whatever, you know, trying to take the wave home with them. Yeah, kind of like running into the water, wanting to take the wave home with them. Right? You can't take waves home. <laughs> yeah? You can just take wet trousers and wet skirts you know, back with you. So you're going to rush in, going to grab the wave. Same thing with aversion. A lot of those things that we're aversive to, like the physical sensations in the body, are actually waves, aren't they? Yeah? When you get to know them, it's like, oh, it's that kind of a wave. Or it's this kind of a wave. It has different frequencies, but they kind of come through like waves. I mean, and, and the aversion, again, isn't seeing the anicca. Yeah? It's not seeing the inconstancy, the movements, the fluctuations. And we're not actually getting to know. It's like, oh, it's tingly. Or it's, uh, or it's sharp. Or it's very short. And sometimes we'll also notice in a meditation, if we're working with pain, is that, wow, I can be with the aversion for a really long period of time. But actually that experience itself, without the pushing, without the fixation, without the solidification that's actually also going on. There's actually nowhere for that aversion to land. Yeah? And really, if you keep going with this lens of inconstancy, you'll see, ah, it's vibrations within vibrations within vibration. It's actually barely here at all. And one of the real mysteries of, of a Nietzsche kind of practice it starts to make you kind of question the whole concept of a present moment, yeah? So how long is the present moment? How long is it? You know, it's like you keep looking, it's like, well, it's, there's the, the up-down <laughs> of this vibration, you know, and then, you know, I don't know where, where how, how bright and how uh, detailed and refined human attention can become, but, you know, there are some kind of peta nanosecond you know, recording machinery, and they're still saying, yeah, there's still movement there, <laughs> still fluctuation right down at that level. And we don't need to get down to that level, we just need to get down to the level of realising, wow, that's really resolving, releasing, dissolving the dukkha experience, the stress, the distress. And I can allow things in more, I can welcome them to be here, I can permit them to exist in ways that I just didn't realise until I bring in this skillful lens, yeah. So that's kind of around like things you might say, they're pleasant things, I grab onto them, they're unpleasant things, I need to fight against them. And then just bringing that lens in kind of really starts to shape things. But it also really starts to shape all of the rest. And so it's interesting that we typically say in meditation, like to pay attention to something which is kind of neither of those. 
It's neither particularly pleasant, it's neither particularly unpleasant. It's a breath. The overlooked breath, yeah? And apart from meditators paying attention to breaths, and, you know, uh, deep divers paying attention to breaths, and the occasional person who hasn't been able to breathe very well for a while paying attention to breaths, it's not a very commonly paid attention to thing. It's an overlooked thing. And yet, you know, you take it away, panic. Wow, <laughs> I want my breath back, yeah? Well, if it's there, it's like, oh, well, ignore it. You know, we've got other big, got bigger fish to fry. You know, we've got more important things to pay attention to. But you start paying attention to that and you realize just how dynamic and alive and actually, I would say, interesting a thing it is. Yeah. Or the fact that you have a proprioceptic sense of your body here in space. Wow, amazing. How does that happen? I have no idea. But isn't it great that it's there? And isn't it great that then you can add in those other ingredients of more space, more energy, more delightfulness, more brightness, more calming, more grounding, and all those qualities that we can start to to play, shape. And slowly we can bring that to a sense of of pleasantness. But first we have to see that it's dynamic, and then we can do so much more with it. There's always more to do in this practice. And when we gather ourselves towards a sense of, of wholesomeness, body, heart, mind, are actually together in attention, in awareness, regulated, harmonized, in tune, we're using the breath to calm, to soothe, or to awaken and brighten, whatever it is that we need, but bringing those beautiful qualities that we value, that we want to see more of in the world, bringing that together. And we see that, ah, there's more here. And then the question for us is, can I get into that more? I've actually created something quite good. And it's not like, okay, tick, finish with the meditation, go out into the world. It's actually, there's a second part here. Can I get into that? Can I let it touch me, let it nourish me? Yeah. Can I also be willing to give it away? Right. So all of that is a, is a key part of the practice. But a second part that's really key is notice. Notice what it is that you're doing. Yeah? This is magic in, in many ways. Yeah? Well, you've created more harmony, more well-being, more peacefulness, more of those qualities. Out of what? Well, kind of in a certain sense, out of everything, because everything is a perception. Everything that you see and feel and perceive is a perception. But in a certain way, like you didn't have to go out and buy any special equipment or uh, special ingredients. It's just paying attention in skillful ways. So which means that we actually are harvesting the fruit, the insight of dependent origination. What do we need, actually, to feel good? What do we need? And how far away is the nearest place where we can stock up? with what's needed to bring that into being. Yeah? And so what the Dharma teachings are saying is, yes, there's definitely uh, external needs. They're kind of minimal. And there's also external conditions. And, you know, they're available to us. We should care, I think. I think they also include caring for the world, caring for others, caring for all beings. It's very clear that that's a, a, a thrust and a message in the teachings but also caring for ourselves, caring for this mind, caring for this heart, caring for this body, so that, what well, we understand the 
this teaching of dependent origination, this teaching of the dissolving of the dukkha experience. Yeah. We can have different ideas about why we might do that, yeah, for the liberation of all beings, so that I'm more able to live in a sustainable way, uh, so that I'm a nicer person and people like me. You know, it can be all kinds of reasons why we might do it. But the fundamental thing is we're learning that what we attend to matters. What we bring our attention to matters. And how we attend to it matters. Because that's our experience. Yeah. And then, so, for example, when anything pleasant then comes up, is that, is that the thing to pay attention to? Very likely, yeah. But not in a greedy way. Like greed is not the solution, actually. Greed is a problematic way of relating and, and maybe giving it away. So, ah, oh, there's something really beautiful. I can give it away or I can let it in, let it touch me. Yeah. You know, a very different kind of response to that clenched fist kind of way of, of meeting stuff. You know, open hand, can give it away, let it in. Yeah. And if there's something unpleasant that, that crops up in our experience, probably there's something unpleasant in our experience even now. Yeah. There are different ways of perceiving that, yeah? different ways of relating to that. Maybe I'm going to not see the unpleasant as a problem. Or maybe I am still going to see it as a problem. But maybe I'm going to, instead of thinking it's a problem and I don't want it, I'm actually going to take it on. I'll take it on. I'll take this. I'll take this knee pain, back pain, heartache. Almost as if we could have a perception. I'm taking it on on behalf of the rest of the world. You know, if someone has to endure this, let it be me. Yeah, something empowering then coming in, rather than I'm being attacked by the unpleasant. Yeah. Or we could, you know, see the good in it. See, ah, oh, yeah, this is going to train me in really positive qualities, having, you know, this ache. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on in the world? Yeah, the pain. And if the experience is, you know, neither of those really, it's not really clear, it's not really present, and that feels like, well, that's, you know, kind of like, that's as far as it goes. I only notice the, the unpleasant and I occasionally notice the pleasant things. So much I'm overlooking. We can bring those more to life, bring those more into being, yeah. And to be really able to, to understand yeah. That there's there's always these rich possibilities, more possibilities of what we can do. Yeah. When we understand the dependent origination of, of experience. Which is so kind of easily overlooked, yeah. unobserved. But actually it's it's what meditation is revealing to us. Yeah. Just like in the meditation. Try out different things. I mean, I can remember for myself, you know, just feeling like, well, meditation means, you know, pay attention to the breath or, you know, and I presume, therefore, the maximum number of breaths is the solution. You know, more breaths is a better meditation, less distraction, must be good, must be contributing. But it's actually, you know, how we're doing that, what we're doing it for, why are we practicing in this way? And a deeper understanding, a more skillful understanding for me is that actually, what is it I want to strengthen? What is it I want to get better at? 
Is it patience? Is it kindness? Is it softness? Is it courage? Is it all of these different qualities? Yeah. And for that to take place, we actually need this second of a skillful perception that the Buddha encourages us to bring in. Yeah. So the first one is, you know, it's not constant. And the other one is also an a, anatta. It's it's not yourself. And it's a degree of identification with experience that seems to come along with it. Yeah. It feels like it makes the most sense to care for this body as if it's my body. Yeah. This is my body. And sometimes I think in meditation we're we're also at fault of this. It's my body. I do what I like with it. You know, I'll, I'll eat when I want, you know, I'll sleep as much as I decide. Kind of, you know, rather than I'll look after this body, I'll care for this body. Just as I would care for a tree or a piece of nature or or an animal that lives with me or near me, you know, the birds around. Do do I would I treat them like this? Yeah. Or, you know, if you've borrowed a coat from a friend, would you treat that better than you treat your own body or worse? And so in that instance, I think that we can see that not being identified with the body can actually lead us to care for it even better. Yeah? Like, this isn't your body. It's something for you to look after. It's a piece of nature. Or it's on loan from a friend. And then, you know, maybe I shouldn't fold its legs up in that way. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't overfeed it or underfeed it, you know. It actually occurred to me the other day that malnourished, you know, badly nourished, for me sometimes it means eating too much, actually. It's kind of a malnourishment of the body. It puts it under extra stress and that's, you know, I'm a greedy type. I need to kind of watch out for that. It's like, actually, that's enough. That's enough food. That's enough fuel, you know. And once we have less identification with the body, with the thoughts, with the emotions, with, with anything that's kind of coming through, then we have the space to play. And I think that that's probably one of the key primary elements, primary as in first, kind of elements for where this anatta teaching is. Like, what about not saying that's mine? What about not saying that's me? Because any time we get the less identification, now, now I can play with it. I can be creative. I can see what it is that I want to do. Yeah? And all of this is in the service of usefulness teachings. Yeah? And I'm well aware, and I just want to kind of counteract it or, or just push back against it, is that we will think, yes, it's true, isn't it? It's true. It's true. It's not my body. It's actually nature's body. Or it's not. Or I don't agree. Or I do agree. Or actually going backwards. You know, if we say the Nietzsche, everything's in constant, isn't it? It is, really. It's all in fluid, in flux, in flow, and things like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's the truth. These are truth teachings. Maybe. Maybe they are. Maybe it's true. The, but the point, and I think the reasons that I've been giving you, are because it's useful. Yeah, it's useful. It's freeing. When things get more dynamic, they get less fixed and there's less building up of dukkha and unskillful relationships to things. Yeah. When we see with less identification, there's more possibilities to play, to, to open, to, to take care, in fact. And oftentimes those are the kind of qualities that people are mentioning. Ah, so that's better. 
So it's useful. But again, the point is understanding dependent origination and the understanding that proves that the possibilities of possibilities are boundless for us. And the unbound, the unbinding experience is what we're heading towards. That's the more free, the more subtle, the more beautiful. Yeah? And so we're getting to understand how our view of the world, inner and outer, is a perception. And all perceptions are not fixed. They depend on what we pay attention to and they depend on how we pay attention. And then our view of how the world is, is also not fixed. And these two things keep deepening each other. Our view of the world and the way that we perceive the world, conceive the world, these interplay, our views. And so the Buddha would speak about Anicca and Anatta as liberating views. Ways that we can see that are skillful, are wholesome, are helpful for relieving dukkha. Which means there's also this third liberating view, perspective to take on, a perception to encourage, is that all experiences, all experiences are dukkha. They're dukkha. Why? Because of the contraction that builds up around them. You notice that when we're meditating and then we go off into a fantasy, this happens to me, it may happen to you, so I'm, I'm looking for <laughs> confirmation. There's this kind of feeling, now this might be an exaggeration, but it's kind of a feeling like there's a squeeze into that imagination or a squeeze into that experience. And I think of this like somebody getting to the end of the toothpaste. You know, you're really kind of like squeezing out that thought, like squeezing out that fantasy. And you actually notice it in the meditation. It's like, oh, I think I'm going to stay with this instead of come back to the breath. And coming back to the breath is like someone saying, oh. And then we're suddenly with a, with a rich, full tube of toothpaste, you know, that's just been opened. And we're still, ah, oh, plentiful, spaceful, ah, oh, rich in, in the experience there. And any moment of time, any moment of experience, there is the possibility of more peacefulness, more fullness, more wholesomeness available to us. And then so the Buddha says, in this moment, just imagine, take on this view, take on this lens. This isn't a truth claim, it's a usefulness claim. Take on this view. This is actually still dukkha. There's some unseen dukkha here. And we could soften that. Or we could welcome in more. We could ease the contraction, lessen the tension, soften the gaze, settle our dust. Starting to quote Lao Tzu. (laughs) But all of that kind of movement. So, and each time we apply it, each time we apply it, it strengthens that view. This is dependently arising. Yeah? It has to be. There's always something we can do reminds me somebody in in profound gratitude recently sent me a a card and they they sent it to guy house and guy house kindly sent it to me and i opened it and pulled it out and they'd hand painted uh is saying there's always something we can do yeah there's always something we can do and i thought such a lovely gift uh to be 
shared that message and I think it's really at the core, the centre of what I want to share. Yeah. There's always something we can do. And we might not know what it is. And that's why I like this phrase, the possibility of possibilities. Because those possibilities, they're not always evident to us. But we must at least admit to their possibility of them. Yeah. And then we play. We persevere and we create. And we bring the kinds of qualities you want to see in the world into being. So they're not truths. They're perceptions or perspectives. And they're also conceptions. Conceptions. They give birth to things. They give birth to perceptions. Ways of looking. Ah, I'll look at the inconstancy. I'll look for the dukkha and release it. I'll lessen identification. Yeah. And that's what it means to be a liberating view. To have a liberating view, to liberate our view. And take on a view that liberates more and more. Um, yeah, so I think at this point, I'd like to open to any reflections, sharings uh, from you about this. But I also actually want to let you know, I, I'm, I'm going to explore this more over an online weekend. I think it's the first weekend of, of March. And the way I run uh, online weekend retreats is you can come to as much as you want to of it yeah um and i expect that the price through guy house who's running it will be you know acceptable to many and there's bursaries and all kinds of funding for that uh, so it'll involve actually a deeper exploration of these three liberating views uh, which which i wrote in the description are big enough to be the exploration of a lifetime but we'll kind of touch into them and kind of point out those avenues and take them a little bit further. Um, and so if you want to do that, it'll also be possible to do it in different time zones. You'll be able to catch up on the recordings. I'll record things and upload them uh, almost immediately. So if that sounds interesting, you'll find Liberating View on the Gaia House program. Um, yeah, so we're open to any kind of questions or things uh, at the moment. And uh, yeah. I noticed that in the chat someone's, you know, very kindly and boldly named a real hero of our times, Alexei Navalny. And, uh, yeah, thank you for, for mentioning their passing. And uh, deep respect to what they endeavoured to do and what they stand for. Thank you. Yes, Karen, please, you'd like to share... Yeah, hear you really well. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful question. And yeah, has, has a lot of richness there. So um, in a way, you know, we could, we could just talk about kind of like working with emotions and, 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 and the skillfulness of that. And let's, let's do that. Let's talk about that. I also want to just address this um, sensibility around that we sometimes get ourselves in a tangle around doing and, and non-doing and undoing and, and, and all of this. And we, and we, and we can um, take it from a, a usefulness idea until it becomes like, this is what you have to do, right? And, and we just have to check many, many times in our practice. This is why I say, like, when we come to a meditation check how's the body how's the heart how's the mind but also check what do i value what am i here for what do i want more of really 
because otherwise we might be uh, taken over by a convincing idea that someone gives us, which is like, you want to be non-doing. That's what you want to be. And it's like, well, no, I want to be more loving. That's what I want to be, you know. But it's like, is the way there non-doing? I don't know. And we have to check. So we have to make sure that it's this coming from my being, from my deepest values. And it might not be. I might be then saying, oh, yeah, well, I do want to love everyone, but I have to be non-doing or I have to be uh, focused or I have to be other things that other people are telling me I have to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've been in this world long enough to know that there's many meditations. There are many meditations. There's whole worlds of meditations. You can't do all of them. You have to pick and choose. So why do we pick and choose? Well, You've just got to trust your heart, you know, you've just got to trust your being that something deep in you is going to lead you towards freedom and listen to good advice, right? But also you have to just kind of question, but then we can get up. What I mean is to say about non-doing, yeah, you, as exactly like you said, it's like, here's this thing and here comes a fear and I should, you know, it, I can see what it needs. And think, oh, but hang on, I'm doing. and I'm not allowed to be doing. Well, according to some idea, yeah. And maybe, maybe... You do. Well, maybe you do now. You do need to be doing some doing. But what we want to see is, yeah, this path, maybe it goes towards undoing. Yeah, it goes towards an unfabricated. Now, actually, the same tools and techniques could actually lead you towards beautiful fabrications. Yeah? Uh, so, so Nibbana is this unfabricated, non-happening, non-experience, non-perception. It's, it's, it's not a thing. Yeah, it's not something that, you know... Now, we might want to go there. We might not. That might not be our path. I'm not saying it has to be. You know, I think the Buddha really encouraged it and, and wanted us to experience this and thought that would really be the seed of the awakening for us. But the awakening is to understand the dependent origination of experience according to the way that I understand these teachings. I understand how does this come about. And the way there, I think someone wrote about it very, very beautifully, the way there is actually through deconstructing our experience. But that's a type of doing. And we have to be dedicated to doing these things that soften, that open, that release. The kind of doing that undoes. Yeah, we could say. There's ways of doing our experience that make less. There are ways of you know, doing our experience that resolve the dukkha that is here and now. The thing to meet. Yeah? And if you give more space to fear... Yes, that's a doing, but it's a doing that undoes, isn't it? It's like, ah, so that's what to do. There's a greater undoing here that maybe I could skip too soon to like, well, I don't do anything, <laughs> you know. And you're still doing something because to perceive is to do. And if there's an appearance, there's a perception, there's already doing happening. And then we step into that stream and we, and we do what's needed to be done. Um, so talking about fear, talking about emotions. Yeah, there's a lot that we can do and there are practices that we could say are about the cultivation of the kindness, the courage, the, those qualities. And we want to encourage those qualities in our practice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's probably enough to say for now and yeah, take care. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye-bye. <laughs> nice. Yeah, anyone else have any uh, reflections or questions or inquiry 
or anything they want to share. And it can be related to what I was saying, it can be related to what's going on for you in the world, in, in our experience. Everything's welcome. Yes, Ashley, hi. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Ashley. I think um, basically what I, what I was just saying, like when, when I said about the weekend, you know, I think it's, it's, it can be a life's journey, a life's work, you know, a life's exploration because it's so rich. Like if we just take this idea, well, what would it be like if I didn't identify with this? In this case, we're talking about the body. I mean, then we realize, oh, wow, that's going to be part of the, the dying, isn't it? That's going to be part of the dying is like in some way, some dissolution of that seeming, you know, cohesive. They're always together. There's me and there's body. They must be me. They must be mine. It must be me, mine in some way. Well, what's it like to then open to that different view? And we could do that, as you say, in the light of death. Or in the light of anything else, you know, extreme pain or whatever. It's like, well, it's not, it's not mine. It's not me. It's like... It, just interesting, you know, to kind of explore in these different ways and see it. It, open, it keeps opening up different avenues. But equally, we could we could say, and I would say, that anatta teaching, right, which is kind of not self, most skillfully called, it's a not self strategy. It's not a truth. It's a strategy. It's like, well, I'm going to try this way, holding a view this way, and I look at it this way, and I see what happens. Deepens my understanding of dependent origination, of experience. It's like, oh yeah, that view is really strong. It's really powerful. It causes fading of maybe painful sensations or difficulty or attachment or whatever else. But at other times, it also means I'm going to adopt the view of self here. Yeah, this is my body. I need to protect it. I need to, you know, look after it. I need those kinds of qualities, and I want to strengthen that more. Right, because you, as you mentioned, that word it's not disassociation, but some people experience disassociation, and maybe for them, the anatta practice is actually a skill of like moving along this spectrum more self, less self, according to what feels appropriate. Yeah, so I call this session actually appropriate perception because, like, what's the appropriate perception? And it might be the appropriate perception now is self I'm standing up, I'm here, I'm present. Or at the end of the meditation, there's a sense of self. It's like, what have you cultivated? What have you nourished? What have you supported? That's you. And then are you going to give it away to other selves? Yeah. And it's kind of like, there's a presence there that's doing that. Yeah. So it kind of ties in with the question earlier about doing, non-doing. And it's like, both. Sometimes we're doing, sometimes we're non-doing. Sometimes we're undoing. Sometimes we're redoing. <laughs> you know, it's all kinds of doings. There's all kinds of ways of, of looking at the experience. So if we see a way, ah, oh, this could be helpful in that field, then we explore and then we might see, well, maybe it's also helpful to do it this way. And that's also kind of an important part of, of the experience. So there's different levels to all of this and it's, it's so rich. It really is a, a lifetime's work and probably the fullness of it will never be completed by any one of us. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes... Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, um, you know, really, uh, there's so, so much, so much about this. You can just keep seeing every time, you know, we, we, we share to each other and, and, and others listening to it. It's like, ah, oh, it can open up in so many different ways. For some people, 
what's quite helpful in relationship, say, to the body, some people will, will say, instead of saying it's not me, it's not my body, you know, something like that, they might say it's not just my body. Yeah. And in fact, that, that actually holds a, a biological truth, doesn't it? Because I think it's full of microorganisms that are actually digesting our food, that without them, we, you know, we are a collective, but it's also, you know, not only mine. And you can just try out these kind of different views. And at other times, it's, like I say, it's absolutely right to say, this is my body, keep away from it, you know. And, and <laughs> you know, so we, we're, we're not in a cult, you know, we're not in an indoctrination thing, but we're trying on different views to see what they're useful for, where, they, where they're useful in different ways. And it's, it, it's, it's a lot about timing. It is a lot about timing and, and time and place and, 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 and what it is that we want to be supporting. And in that sense, that's why I say they're all in the service of deepening our understanding of the more fundamental thing, which is the dependent arising of views. So, yeah, finding the right language for it, like you were saying, is, is a really important one that gives that right feeling. Yeah. But... What just the kind of like the final thing I'll say, and maybe the kind of final final word around the session is that that quality we might call it non-identification is an essential ingredient for us to be able to explore anything. Yeah, we have to actually be non-identified with it to be able to to have it as a perception and then be able to play with our experience in those ways. Yeah, so that's kind of a helpful point to to leave on. Because it has to be some non-identification to then see it as a Nietzsche or something like that. Yeah. If you're identified with it, you don't even know oh, I'm having this emotion. Yeah. To say oh I'm I'm feeling fear is to be non-identified with the fear. Yeah. I'm not completely in it. I'm not trapped in it. I'm not not fixed in it in that way. So this might have sparked different areas, different conversations we could go into. Um, for those who are interested in that kind of area, there's also another thing I could kind of um, give your attention to is is through the dependent origination website that I put the link to for the support there's a group meeting tomorrow called shaping the world and in fact it's very much kind of tied in with these kind of uh, teachings and explorations but it's also a more like a group conversation so this has a certain kind of hierarchy this this event like Nathan the person who's coming doing most of the teaching and sharing and, and expressing there it's much more conversation so if any of the kind of themes and explorations and understandings and views and reflections that are alive for you here feel like they'd like a place to land uh, tomorrow five o'clock uk time uh, and every month on the third sunday uh, on the whole it's on the third sunday uh, you're welcome to come along to that another freely offered event if that interests you so okay but this is the time we allotted for this. Zohar is going to be in the online Dharma Hall tomorrow, speaking to the theme of equanimity. I think that should be really nice and enjoyable. That's 9.30 UK time. Um, and whenever we can, we record these things and put them up on Dharma Seed for later enjoyment. So, All right. Thanks for being here and wish you well on this path and see you along the way. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.